Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning for those of you that are watching online. How many times will I step on this while I'm speaking? Y'all want to go ahead and make a bet quick? No. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll step on this and then I'll fall on top of these boxes. It's going to be, you get your cameras out because you may get some stuff for like uh, America's Funniest Video today. Uh, no, hopefully not. Before we dive into uh, a series we started this past week, uh, I wanted to remind you, today's one of those days where if you are new to City Walk Church or if you've been coming a little while and you, man, you've been wanting to ask some questions, you've been wanting to get connected a little bit, you want a free lunch or some free babysitting, then any, for any of those reasons, Intro to City Walk is right after church today. We start about 15 minutes uh, after the service. And basically what we do, we just have lunch together over in the fellowship hall and uh, we take about 45 minutes and just walk through some things about our church, give you a chance to ask questions, and we do that once a month. So I want to invite you, even if you haven't signed up, just join us 15 minutes after the service. We'd love to uh, have you join us over there uh, in the fellowship hall. So, so uh, over the past, and even in uh, the parking lot a little bit, uh, with some of you guys, uh, we've been talking a little bit about uh, some holiday plans. And uh, maybe you're watching online, and you're, uh, maybe, you're, you're, maybe you've already started to uh, have some people come in town. I know my family's going to be coming in town here in the next week or so. Uh, I know some of you are going to be going out of town for Thanksgiving. And so you're kind of finalizing some of those hot holiday plans. And for some of you, you, you look forward to this type of stuff. You look forward to gathering with your family, and it's going to be a good time. You're going to eat all your favorite foods. You're going to get to see, you know, uncle so-and-so and aunt so-and-so that you haven't seen in a while, and it's going to be a really good time. For others of you, uh, you're, you're looking forward to it, and, and you're not going to hate it while you're there, but you're also not going to hate it when it's over. And you understand that. You, I mean, you, you can't wait. You want to see your family, and it's going to be some fun. But when it's time to go or when it's time for them to get back on the plane and go back home, you, you won't hate that either uh, because, you know, you're, you're thankful that they're there and it's good, but you don't want to live with them. And, and you know, you understand. Well, I don't have to go into it. You, you have some family like that where it's like, yeah, I can't wait for them to come over. But then by the end of it, you're like, oh, it's a good time for them to get going back home. Uh, and so you, you might have some of that. Or, and for some of you, and this is a little, little bit more serious, there may be some of you that honestly, this type of stuff, you don't look forward to. The, these gatherings that uh, we're, we're about to do, and it's that, you know, once or twice a year where you do it just because that's what you're supposed to do. But you really aren't looking forward to it. Because for you, when you gather with that group of people, for you, it, it brings up some hurt. 
Uh, there's some people that will be in the room that hurt you. There's some people in the room that, that sinned against you or did some things that were wrong to you back in your past. And, and so when you get in, in that room with them and when you're at that dinner with them, honestly, you're going you're gonna to fake a smile and you're going to be polite, but it's not something you're looking forward to. Because over the years, the things that have been done to you or the sin that's been done to you, it's never really been dealt with. It's kind of been pushed under the rug. Everybody kind of dealt with it their own way. And it, it never came. There was no solutions. And so for you, as you look forward to this season, you're not looking forward to some of those gatherings for that very same reason. Because for all of us, whether it has anything to do with a holiday gathering or maybe it would be in a different area of life, every single one of us has been hurt by people that have sinned against us. But not only have we been hurt by people and their sin, maybe it wasn't against us, but, but it, was, it, it affected us, but not only have we been hurt because of what's been done uh, you know, the sin of it, but we've been hurt because people that have done things they shouldn't have haven't dealt with them correctly after they done, have done them. And, and so there's, there's people in your life that because they chose to do things in a way that doesn't please God, and they chose to, after they did that, not to deal with it correctly and kind of push it under the rug, it's had ramifications on your life for a long time. And when we talk about this, the, the, the scripture calls it sin when we make a decision that does not line up with what God wants. And, and every single one of us has been sinned against. And let's be honest, every single one of us has probably hurt other people because of some bad decisions that we made. And then we didn't deal with those bad decisions the right way afterwards. And so there's been some ramifications because of that. And so here's the, here's the question. The question isn't, will I sin or will I, will I choose to do things my way instead of God sometimes? And unfortunately, man, yeah, we, we still struggle in different areas of our lives. And so the question isn't, hey, will, will I do that? But really the question is, what is my response to my sin? When I choose to do things that aren't the way God wants, when I uh, do something against another person, when, when I sin, when I choose that, what do I do about it then? Do I just let it go under the rug, try to hide it and move on like maybe people have done to you? Do I lay up in bed at night and have guilt and shame because I don't really know how to deal with it? I know I did some wrong things. I know I did things that, that didn't please God. I know I've hurt some people, or, but I, I don't really know how to deal with it. And so I just, every single night, I just kind of have gotten into the rhythm of just feeling guilty and feeling shame. What do I do with it? And, and if you find yourself in a place where you've been hurt because of someone's response to sin or because some, you've hurt some people because of how you've responded. If you find yourself in that place, you're not alone. In fact, the Scripture, specifically in a lot of David's writings, talks a lot about how we're supposed to deal with our sin, 
how we're supposed to deal. What are we supposed to do when, when we choose or when someone else chooses to do something that isn't pleasing to God, that's against what God says? Well, after that fact and after that hurt or, or the damage that it's done, do we deal with it correctly? Do they deal with it correctly? Because if I do, there's ramifications, but if I don't, there's ramifications. And David talks a lot about this. Because as great as David was, and he did a lot of great things, in fact, he was called a man after God's own heart in the scripture, as great as David was, David made some monumentally bad decisions. And he didn't deal with those bad decisions in the best way, and so it had ramifications literally for the rest of his life. And, and, and here's what, what, what's interesting. After David made some of these monumentally bad decisions, even though he knew God and he was a friend of God, he was a man after God's own heart, man, he tried to hide them. He tried to cover them up. He tried to pretend they didn't happen. And it just continued to snowball into worse and worse destruction. Until there was a man by the name of Nathan that came to him and said, hey, David, I got to talk to you about something. And Nathan confronted him because of his sin. And then it was in that moment that David penned what we have as Psalms 51. He penned this piece of poetry in that season after he had been confronted for some sin in his life that he had been covering up for over a year. He penned this psalm, Psalm 51. And about a year before he, he penned Psalm 51, Samuel tells us kind of how the whole thing started. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So David, in the, in the spring, and, and if you do some history, you, you find out that the spring was a time that kings usually went out to war. It was kind of like the season of war. And one of the reasons it was a season of war was because the weather was good, but also because, man, food usually was in high, great supply during the spring. And so David usually would be out on the battlefield kind of leading the charge and a part of leading his troops in battle. And that's what kings would normally do. But for whatever reason, during this spring, David, instead of going and leading the troops from the battlefield, he stayed at the palace. He stayed at the palace and he sent Joab, kind of the commander of his army, to lead the troops and he stayed at home. And it says this in verse 2, one evening... David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof and of the palace. And, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Where David's palace was, was probably one of the highest points in the whole city. And so from the roof of his house, he could look and probably see a lot of the city and as he was looking around one night, he saw this lady that we find out her name was Bathsheba. He saw her taking a bath on the roof, which wasn't abnormal. People used their, their roof as almost another room, and so that wasn't abnormal for her to be doing that. But David was on the roof, middle of the night. He looks down and he sees this woman. And so he's on this roof, and he's obviously tempted. And, and at that point, he could have ended it. But he didn't. 
It says this, so David sent someone to inquire about her. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of her, her Uriah the Hittite? So, so David, yeah, he sent somebody. I mean, he's the king. So, so David sends somebody, sees this lady, and she's bathing. She's beautiful. And, and instead of saying, ah, that is, no, that's wrong direction. I'm going to go back in. And no, that's not, not what I need to be doing. He, he inquires about her. Hey, hey, buddy, can you go find out a little bit more about who is this lady? And, and so he finds out this is Bathsheba. And this is the wife of one of his elite soldiers, Uriah. Uriah's out on the battlefield doing what he's supposed to do as one of David's elite soldiers. And so at this point, I mean, David finds out this is the wife of one of your guys. So of course you're going to just stop, right? You're not going to move forward with this. But that's not what happened. It says this, now David, David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. So, so David's sin that started with just, hey, I'm walking around on the roof and I see this lady and, and I should have just left it there, but I inquired about her and now I found out who she was and, and I, I went through with this. I had her, I, her, her come to me. I mean, he's the king, so he can kind of have whatever he wants at this point. And he sleeps with her and now life gets really complicated because she's pregnant. And so it's in this moment that it, David could have said, ah, that was wrong. I sinned. I disobeyed God. I, I, I went against one of my guys. I betrayed one of my guys. He, he could have right, right then, he, he could have stopped it. He could have turned from his sin. He could have said, hey, I was wrong. I will face the consequences, but I, I'm not going to move forward with this. I was wrong. But instead of turning from his sin and doing the right thing, he tried to cover it up. What David did is he invited Uriah back from the war. He got him drunk and he encouraged him to go hang out with his wife. And, and here's what David counted on. In David's mind, hey, a drunk soldier who's been out on the battlefield hanging out with a bunch of dudes in tents now has an opportunity to come home and go spend the night with his wife. For David, he's like, hey, that's his problem is solved. She'll get pregnant tonight, and it'll be Uriah's. It'll all work out. But little did he know, and he didn't account for this, that Uriah was a more honorable man than David was. And what Uriah said to David is, David, I, I can't do this. I can't go home and, and spend the night with my wife and be in the comfort of my home when, when the men that I battle with, they're out on the field and they're in tents. I'm not going to go home and be with my wife while he, they're all out there fighting and they're, they can't be with their wife. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so at this point, David could have said, oh, what am I doing? And he probably was convicted by this man's, how honorable he was. What, what am I doing? i got to stop this. But he didn't. He continued down this path of covering up his sin, and he went from being an adulterer to now being a murderer. It says this in verse 14, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. He, he wrote a letter to the, the, the captain, the leader of the army. And he says, and, it's, and he sent it with Uriah. 
In the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. I mean, how sick is this that David literally writes a death wish for Uriah, hands it to Uriah. Uriah doesn't know what's in this letter and says, hey, Uriah, go deliver this to Joab. And he he literally delivers his death sentence to Joab. And it's exactly what happened. What started with some temptation has moved to adultery and now to murder. See, David's sin has taken him further than he planned on going. And it's kept him longer than he planned on staying. He, he could have turned from his sin. He could have done the right thing. But instead, he continued to hide his sin. Even after Uriah was dead, he, 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 could, have like, he could have stopped and said, what, am I, what have I done? I, I've, I've committed adultery and now I've... I've had this guy murdered, what am I doing? But instead of dealing with his sin the right way, he continues to try to cover it up. By now he marries Bathsheba. So now he looks like a hero. David the king, he's taken in this lady Bathsheba whose husband was killed on the battlefield. What a great king he is. And so at this point, David's probably like, Got a, little, got a little crazy there, but I think I got this thing all taken care of now. Uh, I don't see how this thing could, could go bad now. It's, it's all taken care of. Besides Joab and the dude that went and got Bathsheba, really nobody else knows about this, and they'll keep quiet. But see, there was one issue. God hadn't forgotten. And God wasn't good with David's sin. God wasn't pushing it under the rug. He wasn't like, oh, you're one of my guys, so we'll, we'll let you slip on a couple of these things. No, no, this was, was something that, that God had not forgotten. And so what God did is he sent Nathan. Now, almost a year after this has happened. So David's probably like, man, this is old news. It's over. He sends Nathan, and Nathan is a very wise, godly man. And so what Nathan does, instead of him coming in and saying, Hey, David, I know what you did. He says, David, can I tell you a story? Can I tell you about something that's going on? And let me tell you about the story that's taking place in your kingdom. And so he, he tells him this story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And you can see it up on the screen. It says this. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food, she would eat. From his cup, she would drink. And in his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. And he's like, there's this rich guy that has all kind of sheep. And then there's this poor family that has this one lamb that's like a kid to them. And it's like their family pet. They love this thing. And verse 4 says this. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. 
So, I mean, if you, if you love animals, you're starting to get mad yourself a little bit at this. I know my wife's probably getting mad. Like, we got a farm at our house with like 400 dogs, and if you've ever been to our house. But, but think about it. You have this, this rich dude that, man, he's got all this stuff, all these animals. He's got all this sheep and cattle, and you got this one little family, poor family. They've got this one lamb, and the, the rich guy, he has a, a traveler, or kind of some company come to town. And so, man, company's in town, so, man, we got to prepare a good meal for them. And so, instead of taking from the hundreds and hundreds of cattle he has, he steals this one little pet and says, we'll feed our traveler, our company, their sheep. So that's what happens. And so this, what, David, he's sitting there listening. And I mean, Nathan is just like, just reeling him in. It says this, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay for lambs for that lamb. He's got to pay. He's got to die. I mean, Nathan is, or David is furious. He's like, this guy needs to be killed. And he also, before he gets killed, he needs to pay this guy back four lambs. And David is furious. And Nathan replied to David, you are the man that I'm talking about. Drop the mic. I mean, think about it. David's so mad. He's upset. And, and Nathan points his finger at David and says, David, you're the man. You're the man. You stole the wife. You had Uriah killed. You're the man. And, and after Nathan has called him out, and now David, he has a decision to make. Man, he has been called out because of his sin, but, but he's the king. And so is he going to harden his heart? Is he going to say, man, who cares about what you have to say, Nathan? I'm the king. What's he going to do now that he's been confronted, now that he's been called out, now that his sin is no longer hidden? How's he going to respond? And it's in this season that David writes Psalms 51. And we get a real life look at what David did, how David dealt with the sin, and how we as people that, man, sin and disobey God and hurt people, how we could maybe learn to deal with ours. It says this, if you have your, your Bible or you can see it on the screen, this is what David wrote right after he got confronted by Nathan. It says this, Psalm 51, he says, Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. David, he understood that he did not deserve God's forgiveness. Man, he understood that he blew it. But what David was doing, because David knew who God was, he knew God. And he was asking God for grace and mercy, not on the basis of his, of David and who David was, but he was asking God for grace and for mercy based on who God was, not who David was. Because David, even in the midst of making all these bad decisions, he knew who God was and he knew the character of God. And so now he's at the, you know, just 
everything's, the, the, the rug's been pulled out. He's kind of at the bottom and he says, God, have mercy on me, not based on who I am, not based on my actions. I don't deserve it, but because of who you are, forgive me. And then David goes on and he says, For I am conscience, I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. He says, Against you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. See, David, in this moment, David owned the fact that he had sinned. And though he had hurt many, ultimately his sin was against God and the consequences that resulted from it were justified. See, David, he doesn't downplay this. And, and think about this is, this is why some of you have been hurt by other people. Because obviously, maybe somebody sinned against you, or maybe somebody, man, sinned and disobeyed God in their life, and, and that, that sin, just like David's sin, had some ramifications on your life. But instead of dealing with it correctly, what they did is they, man, they passed blame. They, they didn't own it. And, and so, man, it never got dealt with. And see, when we downplay our sin, we, we block the restoration process. We Oh, wasn't that big of a deal. It was a mistake. It was a bad day. And there's something inside of us, if we're honest, that naturally wants to downplay our faults. I mean, isn't that true? We, we naturally want to downplay. We naturally want to move on quickly. And, and, and if possible, man, we want to spread the blame a little bit at least. But David, he had come to a spot now after, after a year that, man, he understood that, man, not only have I sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba and against my kingdom, ultimately I have sinned against God and I own my sin. When we try to share blame, we are walking in pride and God, God hates pride. When I, when I sin, when I disobey God in an area of my life and then I try to blame you for it, I'm walking in pride. And, and James, Jesus' brother, said it this way, God resists the proud. That word resist is a military term that's literally like God wars with those who are proud. It's like, I, I can mess my own life up quick enough. I don't need God like fighting up against me. Like, I, I can mess it up on my own. I don't need God against me too. And that's what he says. He says, man, God resists the proud. And so David, in this moment where he had to decide, what am I going to do? He, he finally comes to a place where he says, hey, I have sinned. I have disobeyed God. I have, I'm owning my sin. I'm not going to cast blame. I'm, not, I'm just going to own it. And, and after running from God and trying to cover up, he finally comes clean. He takes ownership of this sin. If you're an, let me speak to dads in here real quick. If you're a dad in this room, one of the best things you can do for your family is own it when you blow it. One of the best things you can do for your son or your daughter is when you blow it with your attitude, when you blow it because you, whatever, where you say, you know what? That was on me. That, I should not have done that. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. 
And David, he finally came to that place. But, but here's what David understood at this point. It took a while. David understood that, man, he didn't need like a little tweak in his heart. He didn't need to, like a small behavior modification. No, David understood, man, I have sinned against God and I have some junk in my heart. I have some heart issues. This isn't like a small tweak or if I was a little more disciplined in this one area or if I can modify my behavior in this area. No, David understood like part of restoring and and being restored and part of dealing with my sin correctly is owning it, but then also knowing that, you know what? There's something inside that caused me to say that. There's something inside that caused me to do that. There's something deeper than my actions. And David understood that. And so David says this. He says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. And then David says this. He says, purify me with hyssop. Hyssop was a a plant used to clean the house of lepers. I mean, it was a cleaning product. It was something they used to clean. And David's saying, Lord, I need you to clean me. I need to clean. I need you to wash me. I need to be whiter than snow. David says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David, as he's dealt with this for over a year, he's, he's physically felt it. Like his bones have physically felt the guilt that he's had in the hiding of the sin. And, and he's saying to God, God, I need you to heal me on, on the inside. I need you to change me. I need you to make me new on the inside. And then he says this in verse 9. He says, turn your face away from my sins. Blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. David's saying, God, I'm a mess on the inside. My heart is a mess. God, I need you to come in and supernaturally clean me from the inside out. I need your truth. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need you to renovate my heart. I think sometimes, so, and you, again, you've, I don't have to convince you of this because you've experienced this. You've experienced people in their life that have struggled in an area and the the ramifications of their struggle has affected you and you've watched them try to make little tweaks in their life and it it works for a little while, but, but there's never a heart change. And so we never see it really change. It just gets better for a few weeks. And David's saying, I don't need a tweak. I don't need a distraction from my issue. I need heart, my heart to be cleaned. God, I need you to renew my heart. Until we admit that our issue is deeper than a mistake or a lapse in judgment, we will never see heart change. And David, he did. He wanted heart. At this point, he wanted his heart to be changed. He wanted what he used to have with God. He says this in verse 12. He says, restore the joy of, of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And then he says this. This is kind of the, the final part. He says, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering? David's like, man, 
If there was something I could do, if there was, you know, three check boxes, that if I could check those three boxes, this all would go away and be good, I'd do it all. But he, he says, God, you don't want a check box. You don't want me to do something. You want my heart to be different. You want me to have a changed heart, not a changed outward. Yeah, I need a changed heart. And, and so David says, the sacrifice that is pleasing to God, what really pleases God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And so David, as he, he writes this, and, and just, I mean, if you can just, in your own mind's eye, David's been confronted by Nathan. He's dealing with the consequences of his sin. And and now he's, he's writing this to God, this poetry that now we get to, to read and have. After he's admitted and owned his sin and he said to God, God, I don't, I don't need a tweak. I don't need a, a, just something small. I need a heart change. And God, when you change me, because I can't change myself, I'll tell other people. And one of the things I've noticed that people that are really repentant of their sins are extremely grateful people. They're extremely grateful and they're extremely gracious. So when someone has gone through something and they've seen God reach into their heart and really change their heart, those people are some of the most grateful, gracious people you'll ever meet. And you know what I've found too? They're not embarrassed to tell you about their stuff. They're not trying to hide it. They're like, yeah, this is, let me tell you the story of how God changed me. And they have such, they're, they're grateful because of it. And so I want to I come back to the, a question that we started with. As we kind of close things up, I, wa I want you to think about this question that we started with. Because every single one of us, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, whether you're somebody that's been following Jesus for a long time, or you're somebody that's maybe investigating faith, the, the answer to this question has huge ramifications on your life and on the lives of those that are closest to you. And that question is simply, what is my response to my sin? When I do something that doesn't please God, when I don't love someone the way God has told me to love them, when I, when I do something that is against what God says, and we all do, how do I respond to that? What do I do in that moment? You've experienced, and we talked about it, you've experienced some things in your life because other people haven't dealt with their stuff in the right way. Some of your homes have been broken. And you have dealt with a lot of hurt because someone disobeyed God, and if they would have just come clean, and if they would have owned it, and really had heart change, there would have been healing, and there would have been grace, and, and things could have been much better, but because they hid it, because they made excuses, because they cast blame to other people, because they never really owned it, you're still hurt because of it. And so the question is not what's happened to you, because we can't control that, but what's your response? What are people that love you the most saying about you that are around you? Maybe you're watching online. How is it affecting those? Like my children, how are they affected by how I own and deal with when I disobey God? There's really a couple ways. There's, it's pretty, pretty simple that we can, we can have a, a kind of prideful attitude. We can respond with pride and, 
And, and basically, when we respond with pride, what we're doing is we're, we're kind of hiding our sin or we're at least minimizing it. What usually will happen if we, we have pride is we'll hurt others and we'll hurt them for a long time. And for some of them, they won't even know why they're being hurt. They won't even know why their life is, why their life is being affected the way it is because they, they might not even know what's going on, but their life is different, and it's different for a long time because of somebody's sin and their pride because they never dealt with it. And so there's, there's generations of people that are dealing with consequences that they don't even know the, the reason that it started. But because someone had pride and didn't deal with their sin the right way, it hurts for a long time. Another thing that happens when we have pride is we never understand healing. The blessing of God is removed from our life because it says God resists the proud. And, and because we're proud people, and we don't realize how much God has for us and how much he can heal us, we literally give that up in an effort to save a little face. And so pride, that's, that's one way. Or, or we could respond with humility. And this is where we, we admit and we own our sin. And, and, and here's the honesty, you're still going to hurt people. You're still going to hurt people, but you're going to hurt people for a shorter amount of time. Bottom line, if David would have you know, committed adultery with Bathsheba and he would have stopped right there and said, hey, Uriah, dude, and admitted his sin, yeah, Uriah would have been mad and it would have hurt and there would have probably been some marriage counseling that would have to take place. And man, there'd be some, some years of some tough times, but eventually there would be some healing. But because David decided, hey, I'm going to hide it, it just kept getting worse. And he, he dealt with it instead of having humility, he had pride. The hurt that would have only gone on for a short time or been much less was much greater. And if you read the rest of David's story, it is tragic what happens in his family. I mean, just ridiculous, crazy tragedy because of his sin. Just read the rest of David's story. If we have humility, we admit it. We own our sin. Yes, we hurt others, but it's a, usually for a shorter amount of time. We embrace the process of healing, and so that means we, we place ourselves under people in some cases and say, yeah, man, I need your help. I need your accountability. I am voluntarily placing myself under a counselor or somebody because I need help, and I'm not going to have pride. I'm going to let you speak into my life. And here's what happens. We experience the grace of God. And as a result, so do other people. And when you've experienced grace, you share it with other people. You share it with your words, but you also share it with your life. Because you're not as proud as maybe you used to be because you blew it. And you experience grace. And so you have a whole different outlook on life. I'm so thankful in my family and my, some of my extended family, we've, over the years, we've had some issues. We've had some seasons when I was younger where, man, it, it looked pretty, pretty rough. And our family could have blown up real easy because there were some sin and there were some issues that, that, that man, were just bad. 
But you know, here's what I'm really thankful for. I was hurt because of it. But you know what? What I watched happen was I watched the the person that was involved in that own it. Walk the road of repentance. Do the hard things to make things better and to heal and to gain trust. And today I look back and I think, man, I'm so thankful for the example I saw of someone that, yeah, they blew it. But they handled it the right way. They dealt with it. They owned it. They, they walked in humility and repentance. And because of that, man, my life and my extended family is so much different than what it would have looked like if that person would have said, you know what, I'm going to hide this thing and I'm going to blame other people and I'm not going to deal with it correctly. And you know what I'm excited about is this holiday season, and we're going to have really, really great gatherings with people that love each other dearly and love Jesus dearly. And it wouldn't be that way if the person hadn't owned what, what they had done. And, and so as we close, you, you probably know this about yourself, and if you don't, your wife or husband can give you an elbow. Here, here's, here's what we all know. We're going to blow it right? You're like, my husband blew it on the way to church today. I'm going to actually talk to him about it when, he, when we get home. Like, yeah, we're going to blow it. Like, we're not perfect people. That doesn't give us an excuse to like, yeah, I'm, gonna be, I'm not perfect, so I can do whatever. No, we're going to blow it. We're going to disobey God. We're going to make bad decisions. The, the question isn't whether we're going to make bad decisions and sometimes choose the wrong thing. The question is, how will we handle it when we do? Will we own it and will we have humility? Or will we walk in pride and allow destruction after destruction after destruction to affect our family long after we are probably not even on the earth? If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're watching online, you're here and you're saying, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. And there may be some, some things in your life right now. There, there may be some things in your life right now that as, as we've been talking about it, you, you know, man, you've had some effect on your family in some not good ways because you just haven't owned it. You haven't dealt with what's going on in your life. You haven't dealt with some ways you've sinned against people. And maybe today the answer for you and the, 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 the step for you is to just say, you know what, as I leave today, I'm no longer going to walk in pride. I'm going to walk in humility. I'm going to own my sin. I'm not going to make excuses because I trust that God will heal, that God will restore if I'm obedient. Maybe you're here in... You're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. And, and for you, the, the first step in humility might just be to say, I need Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're investigating faith. Maybe you have had some questions. You're leaning in a little bit. Maybe you're watching online. And, and you just, at this point in your life, you haven't stepped over the line of faith. You're not a follower of Jesus. And for you, walking in humility might just be today saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. Jesus, I, I admit I disobey God. I, I can mess my life up royally on my own. I admit that. And Jesus, I believe that you came, that you died on the cross, that you rose from the grave so that I could have a relationship with God so that you could heal what I had broken. 
And Jesus, I want to follow you. Maybe that's you today. And maybe that's your step today. Maybe you're watching online and and your step today is just to, to take a step in humility and say, I'm not doing this alone anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. I need Jesus. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're somebody that's not, here's what I do know. You will never regret walking in humility and leaning into the grace of God. You will never look back. If you come clean with some sin in your life or if you step over the line of faith and say, Jesus, I need you today, I promise you, you will not look back at the end of your life and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You will never regret walking in humility and leaning into the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just the honesty of David. Lord, I thank you that uh, we get a picture of a man who was a man that, that, Lord, you said was a man after your own heart, but yet was definitely not a perfect man. And God, I pray that you would guide us as we just seek to read and learn, but also not just learn and hear, but to respond. And Lord, maybe for us, there's some of us that, man, we have not handled sin correctly in our past. We've been maybe somebody that, maybe we just didn't know what to do about it, so we kind of hid it, we kind of minimized it. And today you might be calling us to just trust you and own it and come clean and walk the road of restoration. I pray that we would have the courage to do that. Lord, I pray for those that are here or watching online that, that may not be a follower of you. And for them today, they, as they hear about your grace and the life of David and in the midst of David's just horrible sin and horrible decisions and destruction that he caused because of his behavior, you showed him grace. You showed him mercy. You loved him unconditionally. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and and today you'd say, Chris, I I need a relationship with a God like that. I'm I'm not excited about my past. I'm not excited about some of the things I've been involved in. I'm not glad that I've hurt the people that I've hurt. I'm kind of ashamed. But I'm I'm at a point in my life, Chris, where I, I do understand Jesus loves me. That he loved me so much that he came to earth and died on a cross to pay for my sin. That he rose from the grave and and he wants a relationship with me. He wants to heal my relationship with God. And there's nothing I can do, good or bad, that's going to change how much he loves me. And maybe for you today is the day where you just, in the quietness of your heart, you just tell God, God, I'm going to follow you. I want you to come into my life, Jesus. I believe you died for me. You rose from the grave. I want you to come into my life and transform me. Just tell God. If you're here or you're watching online and and you prayed to receive Jesus, you can Fill out a card if you're here right in front of you that says my decision. If you have some questions about your decision, we want to help. If you're watching online, you can just go to citywalk.cc and you can fill out a card there. We just want to help. We want to answer questions.
God, I pray that we would be people that walk in humility the way you walked as you walked this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.